I don't know if you know this, but it's the 18th day of the month of Elul, which is the birthday of the two great luminaries, the Baal Shem Tov, the founder of Chassidus and the Alter Rebbe, founder of Chassidus Chabad. And so what we're learning is actually the fruit of the Baal Shem Tov and the Alter Rebbe, so it's very auspicious. Um, also, this is the anniversary of when Achia Shiloni, the prophet who revealed Chassidus to the Baal Shem Tov, first appeared to him. Baal Shem Tov's 26th birthday. And it is also the anniversary of when the Baal Shem Tov revealed Chassidus, started revealing Chassidus to the world, which was on his 36th birthday. So for 10 years, he was taught by Chia Shiloni, the prophet, and then after 10 years, he started spreading it forth. So as far as Chassidus goes, this is a very, very special day, so it's very nice that we're learning. I hope something is happening for you in connection, but... I don't make the schedule. So. We're having a covering in tonight. There you go. And we had a party. And you had a party. And with party. cupcakes. With cupcakes. <laughs> <laughs> you with <answer> what? <laughs> <laughs> I've long ago learned that different groups of people are different. And that there is a point at which, you know, what works for some people doesn't work for others. My idea of celebrating Chayel, the 18th day of Elul, does not involve eating cupcakes. But I am not you, and you are not me, so. Give us a good idea. What? Give us a good idea. What? My idea is like learning something about the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov and the Alter Rebbe and trying to figure out how they apply to our this, lives. This is, the, this is the continuation. So we're celebrating with you. We That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We found about the altar of his we wife? Had, we learned about that. Oh. He's lost. I mean, I just explosive. Because you're not me and I'm not you. That's why. We're just going to chalk that up to different people. Okay. So, despite the, all of the wonderful, uplifting things about the 18th day of Elul, we actually left off dealing with, dealing with uh, evil characteristics. The last thing we started talking about was the idea that there are four elements. Everything has four elements, and that's confusing because we all think of chemistry and little building blocks that things are made of. And in the Torah, when we speak about elements, we're talking about the four patterns, the four themes that Hashem uses in giving everything its characteristics and its nature. And this plays out on every level. So physically speaking, there's a set of characteristics which are grouped together thematically. Um, that are called the element of fire. Those include element. Those include characteristics of heat, consumption, moving upwards. There's elements. There's an element which is um, being cold and hard, moving downward. What would that be? Cold, hard, and moving down. Earth. Earth. Okay. Cold and flexible. And, and, and connective water right? okay, so, and if you start thinking about like every physical thing you can kind of break it down into those kinds of things how hard it is how cold it is it does it tend to move up does it tend to move down things like that so here what we're going to do is we're going to go through these four elements as they are in the animal soul but these are all evil okay so before we do that we have to ask ourselves what makes them evil so does anyone have a good definition for evil in the context of what we're going to be using here? 
I'm assuming you guys have finished the end to the end of the chapter. So you've noticed that there's then good elements, good characteristics discussed later, right? So how would you understand the, the meaning of evil and good in context here? I just say, I know, good are things that we like to have and evil things that we don't like to have, but I want a more um, precise, rigorous definition of well, that can't be because later on it speaks about how that this klipa also has good characteristics, and klipa means Hashem's not being expressed clearly. Okay. Right, that creates the complication. So, in other words, here it's clear good is not being used synonymous with godly, and therefore evil is not synonymous with 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 corruption with 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 blocking God. It's it's something a bit more. Anyone have any ideas? Just not that maybe it's the evil to do with um, the nefesh of Muhammad, the pleasures of the world, not so much as like your like like your deeds, it's more as like your desires and like how you act, your emotions, that kind of evil. Mm, no. So I'm gonna cheat a little bit. Later on, he describes good characteristics, right? I remember what the, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you guys have read a little bit forward. So what are the good, he mentions some good characteristics. What are the good characteristics? Mercy and benevolence. Okay, mercy and benevolence. Okay, what do mercy and benevolence have in common with each other? They require another person. They require another person, and who do they benefit? The other person. The other person, okay. So if those are good, Right? So things that connect you to someone else and benefit someone else, those are going to be called good. Then what do we think, what are evil things going to be? Right? Things that disconnect you from yourself or, or hurt. Right? Okay. So we're not talking about anything godly or not godly. So for this, I, 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 I have my own particular pet peeve about the word selfish, which I will now share with you. Okay? Um, and you will, as long as you're in my class, you will use the word selfish the way I want you to use it. When you're outside of it, whatever you want, because I, I think this is important. Most of us use the word selfish as a, as a negative thing, right? Is that, that's selfish. You shouldn't be so selfish. Right? So we have in our mind selfish is bad, okay? Now, if you critically think about what is so bad about being selfish, and I don't want you to get like all religious and like, well, you have to get past your ego to get to God. And like, on a basic, like everyday human interaction, what's so bad about being selfish? You're putting yourself before someone else. And therefore what? What's so bad about that? I mean, shouldn't you take care of yourself before you take care of other people? What's so bad? And what's so bad about that? It depends on the situation. It might not be a bad thing. But we use the word selfish in a bad way. Like, unless we're having these deep philosophical discussions, nobody ever used the word selfish. Like, in regular on-the-street conversation, no one says, you know... You're being really selfish, but that's okay because in this sort, like, like, what is it like? Just the regular, generic, everyday. So you see somebody being selfish, you're like, that's not good. What is it about that's so not good? It's neglecting other people's feelings. Right. There's the sense. There's the sense that there's something. There's something false or wrong about discounting someone else. Now, are there cases where putting yourself first is not really about discounting someone else? 
on a basic, you know, most people don't think like that, for instance, um, that they're being, that, that they're being selfish or anyone's being selfish if they, you know, make sure to pay their bills before giving tzedakah, right? Because are they in the mode of discounting other people? No, but they're saying, okay, I'm taking it into account and I have to be responsible for myself first and then I'll help others, right? So there's this sense where I might be very, I might be care about a lot about myself and I might even prioritize myself in certain situations. But it's not coming from, a, from, a, from, a, from, a, from a, um, discounting others. And then there's times where the reason I prioritize myself is because other people just don't matter. It's like when there's three cookies, yeah, and there's three people and you eat two, What's that? That's like discounting the fact that someone's going out. Like, like, the fact that I can, which just doesn't matter. Because if it did matter, it's okay. Like me having a, two cookies clearly is not more important than them having one cookie. Right? And so the way I like to use the word selfish, which I think is actually reflects how people use it when they're not overanalyzing it, is it's not so much about the problem is that the problem is with the self. The problem is the lack of the other. So the lack of the other. That selfish is when I don't care about others. If I care about others and I also care about myself, and I even, after thinking about it, decide that I need to prioritize myself over others, that's just normal life. That doesn't mean it's holy, it doesn't mean it's godly, it's not saintly, but that, there's nothing evil or despicable about that. But there is something evil or despicable or saying, I didn't even take you into account. Like, I'm the only one here that matters. Okay? So in the sense here, in the sense of using here, sell evil in, in this particular part where we're talking about these elements, they're all evil. What makes them all evil is they all come from and reinforce the idea that the only person that matters is me. And what's going on with other people? Who cares? And what makes the other characteristics good is that what's going on with other people matters. Which characteristic cares about itself? The evil ones. Yeah. So the common denominator of all of the different characters we're going to learn is that these characteristics come from a sense that other people don't matter. And the more I feel these characteristics, the more it reinforces and the more it ingrains inside me the sense that other people don't matter. And then good characteristics are ones that come from recognizing that other people matter. And the more I feel those characteristics make me appreciate that other people matter. Does that still mean, does that mean I'll never prioritize myself over others? No, I might because, you know, for any number of reasons. But it's, but it's not because they don't matter. Okay. So what we're gonna do is like this. We're gonna go through one element and the, the, the characteristics at a time. Um, before we do that, I wanna just talk about the Hebrew word that he uses for characteristics, which is a midah. If you look in the Hebrew, he refers to them as midahs. A midah literally is a measure. Like, like in terms of measuring something. Now, in Chassidus, the term Midas has a very precise definition. And Midas are basically what, what we in English call emotions. But they're not, ex they're, it depends what you mean exactly by an emotion, but they're basically what we mean as emotions. So I want you to think of, I want you to, what? Yeah, the way Chassidus use the word. Like you'll read other books and then people might use words differently, right? It's important to realize that, you know, like just like in different, you know, different countries speak English, but they have different meanings for different words. So even if you learn Torah, 
you know, this, the, these, these set of thinkers might use the word one way and these set of thinkers might use the word differently. Okay. So, I'm gonna, I wanna describe what I mean by what I say an emotion or what we mean amida, so we have it very clear. Amida or an emotion is something which has three levels to it, okay? It always has three levels. How many levels does it have? Three. three. One is that it's part of you. The second is that you feel it. And the third is that it makes it you want to do or not do something. It motivates action or inhibits action. Okay, let's give you an example. Take a simple emotion that everyone is familiar with, okay, which is anger. Why is it the simplest emotion to deal with? Because it's the most visceral. So it's, when you want to talk about it, it's kind of easy to talk about. Not like your particular anger, because then you've got your issues, but just as an idea. Okay. We're all familiar with the idea that when people are angry, that makes them want to do things, right? That's pretty obvious. Now, it is also the case that independent of what it makes you want to do, there's also what it feels like to be angry, right? Like what the actual experience of being angry. Okay. Now, is it possible for you to feel really angry, but, the, but you're, you're not going to do what the anger wants you to do? Yes. Yeah. And it's also possible that you let the anger control what you do. Right, so it's clear that there's the anger motivating action and there's what it's like to feel angry. Those are two levels. Now, is it also possible to be angry and to have anger inside and not feel it? It's possible not to express it. No, not to possible feel to it. Suppress it. So why is it there? Not feel it Okay, so that's this thing I want to get to. So for instance, is it possible that someone really did something that really bothers you two days ago and you forgot about it, like consciously, you're not aware of it? But it still really bothers you. You're still really upset about it, even though you're not thinking about it. And you're like, we're laughing and having a good time. And then something triggers, and then it all comes back. And you're very upset. Is that possible? Does that happen to people? Yeah. In fact, many times we get angry at people. We're not, that's not really the, really the person we're angry at. Okay. In fact, there's layers of this, right? It can go so deep that you don't that like years later you have to deal with it, like in therapy and stuff, right? I mean, you're like holding anger. You're holding anger inside, right? And this is where you start getting levels of the unconscious mind. Okay. Emotions. Now the thing is like this: emotions, they have this this existence inside of us even before they've been triggered, even before they've been aroused, even before we feel them. In fact, if we didn't, they didn't exist inside of us, they could never be aroused. I know, it's annoying because they're putting on the floor. In other words, in other words, even if you, so Chassidus would go so far as like this, even if you've never been angry, if you could feel anger, then that means on some level anger already exists inside of you, it's just not been woken up yet. If you could feel anything, then that thing in some sense exists in you before you actually feel it. It's just being awakened. It's coming out. Okay. So when we speak about these midas, we speak about three levels. The level on which they cause us to do something, which is the most tangible. The level in which we're experiencing them. And the level in which that they're there, part of us, even though we're not really experiencing right now. Like, I might be in a good mood right now because the fact that I have deep anger about something, or even the fact that I have a, 
I have this part of me that would get angry if the right thing occurred and is not aware of it. Okay. Someone who has no anger in them, no matter what happens, would never be able to feel anger at all. Someone who has no cruelty in them would never be able to feel cruel or feel the urge to be cruel. Okay, those are in negative senses, but the same thing is true in positive senses. Okay. Now, one of the things that this is, we're saying is that every person, every single Jew has all of these characteristics. Unless like something happens to their animal soul. So like, they're, they're built in. Like every, every physical thing is hard to some degree. Every physical thing is soft to some degree, right? It's harder than certain things, softer than other things. Everything is flexible to some degree. Everything is a certain amount of heat, a certain amount of coolness. All animal souls have all of these negative emotions, if you want to call them that, negative emotions, some to differing degrees. Does that mean they all, everyone feels the ones that they have? No, right? Because what you feel is a combination of it being there plus circumstance and how you process it. Um, and certainly acting then depends on like whether you choose to allow the emotion to express itself in behavior or you decide to hold it in, deal with it some other way. So when we're talking about these, um, it's important to realize that okay, you have them on, you, there's having them, there's feeling them, and there's acting on them. Okay. So we're gonna do one, we're gonna take one group at a time. The first are, they are anger and pride which emanate from the element of fire the nature of which is to rise upwards. Okay. So anger and pride, these are negative. And they come from the element of fire. So let's first talk about the element of fire. What are the characteristics of fire? Because right, that's the basic theme and then these things are specific forms of manifesting it. What, is the basic, what are the basic characteristics of the element of fire? Well, he, what does he say here? He says to rise upwards. Right? I mean, if you think about it physically, fire goes up. Okay. Now, if you read further, you notice that not all of them is he describe. Okay. So, the reason why is because there's certain ones that he thinks are, are straightforward and obvious, and there are other ones that are not obvious and has to be pointed out. So, the straightforward and obvious one is that fire consumes. Fire is a fire, like if, 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 there's, if fire exists in something, what happens? It burns the material, right? And that burning of the material generates heat. I mean, that's how do you generate heat? By breaking things down. So that element of breaking things down that generates heat, that's, that's the more obvious aspect of fire. And the one that's not obvious that he wants to point out is that it, raises, it goes upwards. So the basic idea is that fire as a consuming force and fire moves upwards, which means that every person's animal soul has this tendency to consume and to move upwards. It has that a certain drive in it. Consume in a negative way. Like right. So now the question is consume it. what? What is it consuming? What is it destroying? Earth. No, it's destroying itself. Let's think about this for a second. Okay. If you take a fire, fire burns the material, right? That it's burning, right? Wood, oil, whatever it is, right? Okay. And then that's gone. And then what happens? Burns itself out. It burns itself out. Fire destroys everything it gets a hold of, and then it's gone. So there's a tendency, there's a tendency built into the animal soul 
to take every part of the person's life, sublimate it to something, and that is actually self-destructive, and what's happens, what happens as a result of that? The person destroys themselves. Now, have you ever heard people say expression like they were consumed with anger? What does that mean, they were consumed with anger? Right? Everything about their life became became part and caught up in the anger. And then what does that do to the person's actual life, the ability to thrive and flourish? It destroys it. Yeah. Right? right? And, like, it, uh, there's a good reason not to be angry that's completely nothing to do with other people, which is... <laughs> it really is. Like, even if I really don't care about you at all, anger, anger. Now, you can have, if you have limited amounts of anger, right? So if you have a small fire and you keep it in a safe place and you keep feeding it fuel, then it's fine, right? But that's because, that's because you've put limits on the fire, right? But if you just let the fire go, it'll burn everything in its path and then you'll have nothing left. Well, that's how anger works. And guess what else works that way? Pride. Pride. They both work like that. And the reason and, 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 and the reason is because they're actually, those are two, although they feel very different, pride and anger, they, they stem from the same underlying drive. Right? Which we'll, we'll talk about in a second what that is. What's the other thing they have in common? Is that there's this, a tendency to move upward. Okay, now obviously it's not when you're angry you're like trying to move to the second floor of a building, right? So we mean upward in a metaphoric sense. Okay. What? No. Well, let's think about it. When? What is it? What is it that that makes that that that? Let's start with pride first. Let's move to anger. Yeah. Why does he describe here pride as a negative thing? Could you think of pride as being a positive thing? Give me an example of pride being a positive thing. You worked really hard on something and you want to share it. So why, so why does he say pride is evil? Because he says pride is evil. Because if you don't control it like the fire, it's going to just eat you. What did I say evil was? Selfishness, like discarding So what, so is all pride involved discarding, disregarding other people? No. No. Right, in other words, there's different kinds of pride. There's a pride where... I want, like, I want, I want to maximize my potential. If I want to maximize my potential, does that mean that I have anything against you succeeding? No. Uh, they say, this is one of those anecdotes that, that, that may or may not be true, but it's, you know, if it is true, it illustrates the point. If it's not true, it still illustrates the point. Um, they say that really a lot of top athletes, that the, mentally the way they think about competing is they're competing with their own self. That is really not about the other person. It's not about doing better than them. It's I know like how well I did last time. I know what I'm capable of, and am I getting to my best? And by the way, if you have two athletes that are like that, they don't begrudge the other person one. Like if I played my best and you played your best, I don't. Okay, I mean, I would have liked to win, but I don't like. I can also I can also congratulate you on your win. But what if the whole reason of playing the game is I want just to have the title? I want to have the the trophy. But then, but then what has to happen? You can't get the trophy. Right? If I want to have, be on the top, then you can't be on the top. And if that's really what I care about, it's, it's disregarding you. But, but now think about this. Sometimes that might lead you to do things like cheat, 
or lower the standards or just like, like you can, you, like if at the end of the day it's being on the top, mm-hmm. then in a certain sense, it may not have anything to do with me succeeding and we're just have coming, you making sure that you fail. Yeah? You ever know like sometimes in the people like sabotage other people at work? Why, 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 would, why would people do that? Because if it's about me living up to my potential and me really accomplishing, like, like, why is, like, their success doesn't take away from my working hard. No, you feel like you're in a scenario where there's only a certain number of people who can succeed, and it becomes a survival instinct. You uh. have to make it to one of those few spots, which means other people by and large cannot. Okay, so here's the thing. Unless we're talking about calories... Because right, calories, if there's a limited amount of calories, then it may be the case that if you get them and I don't, then I'll die. That, that could be the case, right? right? But barring calories or shelter, they're not places to live, right? everything else, everything else is not really necessary for my survival. And then, right, and then what it becomes is, so now there's an interesting question, which is, if there's a kind of pride where, where I have an internal sense, go back to what I was talking about, I have an internal sense of, of who I am and what I'm supposed to be and, and what I can achieve. And I'm measuring myself against that. And if I'm measuring myself against that, in the end, I don't get the promotion or I don't get the title or I didn't get the trophy, that, that's irrelevant. In other words, and that kind of pride, I'm not competing with, I'm, it's, I'm not competing for a limited resource. My success does not necessarily your failure. And the other kind is something that's entirely superficial. It is true that there are resources that are not superficial, that are really important, that sometimes are limited. And those are food and shelter. And in God forbid, we're in a situation where that's the case, where there's less shelter than there are people, and there's less food than there are people. That's a whole different story already. Right? Then, 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 but, but there's something perverse. He's saying that, like, at the end of the day, if, if it's about you know, being on top, on top of what? On top of other people? On top of some arbitrary social hierarchy? On top of, on, on top of like the list on the billboard? Like on top of what? If it's, if it's in touch with something deeper or true in myself and not degrading myself, okay, fine, but then I'm not in competition with anybody. I don't have to put you down to be raised up. But if it's the pride of I wanna be higher than you, then it's really about pushing you down as much as it's about raising me up, and that's evil. Yeah. What about uh, things that, like, well, maybe you would say they're inconsequential, but to me seem like they're not inconsequential, but that are um, limited resources. So, like, when a family moves into town and they're looking for an apartment to rent um, or, or a house to buy or whatever, or when you're applying to a competitive program that, you know, whether it's my note or it's a college or something that you want to get, like, there are only a certain number of spots, or when you're, like, looking for a job and you know there's they're only going to hire one product manager they're not going to hire all the people who apply so this so 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 i want to i want to separate them into two things there are things let's take the, the easier ones like the product manager you are not a product manager being a product manager is not a measure of your success in life okay. right i mean let's just you can even set aside like the Tanya for a second, right? At the end of the day, yeah, you're 120, you're surrounded by your great-grandchildren, and they say, Bubby, 
on your tombstone, we're going to write product manager. How would you feel? It was disappointed. Yeah, <laughs> disappointed, right? 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 But if they wrote, on the other hand, if they wrote on the other hand, right, um, persevered through adversity because you didn't get hired as a project manager, right? Like, like really, you had a hard life and yet you persevered and you raised a family and you gave people strength and things weren't easy. Like, okay, that's something. Right? So even without having, like, like on, 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 on a level of just taking a step out and looking at yourself in a broader perspective, successes are not so much measured by what happens to you, but by how you deal with things. Absolutely. So, and, and that's basically standard by, if, if, if that's the standard by which saying something is, 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 super, is superficial or really important. The exception to that is where it's a resource which actually it affects your survival. Like, and, and there could be cases like that, and that will just tell you there's a separate category. In other words, like there really isn't a place to live, and like you're, you're like, and that happens, unfortunately, to people. That's not what we're getting at here. Right. Yeah. So if I if I can ask then on that, like it's about how you deal with life, right? So when you're in that position where you're unemployed and you need a job, so isn't it right to, or is it not right to have the perspective that like I want before you say before they tell you we're not hiring you as a product manager. Shouldn't you really want that job? And like you should, you, like you should put yourself first, yourself and your family that you need to be able to provide. So if that's the job you're applying for, then I'm saying before there's a decision, shouldn't you be prioritizing yourself to get that job? Right, but that's not pride. Okay. That's not pride. That's taking a case of like, yeah, I have, a, I, have a, I have a first responsibility to take care of myself. So I'm trying to get a good job for my family. I'm not, if at the end of the day, someone else gets the job, it, like, like I'm disappointed because now I have to figure out how to support my family. Right. But it doesn't have this, this element of pride. The element of pride is where it's really important to me mm-hmm. that there's a hierarchy, whatever the hierarchy is, I'd be on the top of that hierarchy or moving up that hierarchy. These things get very mixed together. We, we, we mess up very, very much Things that we need and that maybe it's easier to get them when you're higher up in the hierarchy than the hierarchy itself. Okay. So could, but with the job thing, couldn't you still say that like, okay, I need to be get, like, I need to be in one of the higher paying jobs than other people because then that puts me like in a situation where I can actually afford, because like there's- What, you can actually afford what? Whatever it is that you can give me. Well, now, now we're running into pride because here's the thing, right? This is the thing, right? So, I always, I have this thought frequently, right? Mm-hmm. I go to the grocery store. There's people working as cashiers in the grocery store. Now, I can tell by a few things, A, that they're a cashier in the grocery store, <laughs> and their age, right? If you're young and you're a cashier in the grocery store, it doesn't say very much. But if you're older, right, and you're a cashier in the grocery store, that does say something. And then you interact with the people, and often, after a while, you can kind of tell why they're a cashier in the grocery store, and they're not, say, doing other things. Right, again, there, there tend to be reasons for these things, okay? okay? And then you're thinking, okay, well, there's one of two things are the case. Either they're making ends meet or they're not making ends meet, mm-hmm. right? Those are, those, those are, those are like a thought I have like probably every two weeks I'm in the grocery store. Right? So they're either making ends meet. If they're making ends meet, then what would be wrong if my life got flipped around and I ended up becoming a cashier? Like now I'm a rabbi. And if I ended up becoming casual, like, what was, like, okay, and then? 
There are things that you would give up if you Watch tomorrow became a Christian. Uh, the hundred percent. So those things, those things that I'm giving up are those things, are those things. So then, what would be so hard about that? Let's just, assuming they're making ends meet. Like two thoughts of thought. Assuming they're making. So if they're making ends meet, what would be so hard about it is really a loss of status. So that's really a pride issue. Wait, 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 wait. But we're doing just the pride issue. Right? The other possibility is they're not making ends meet, and if they're not making ends meet. And this is really sad that you have a person working and they're not making ends meet, and that's a, that's a problem. Right. And I shouldn't be indifferent to that. Like, no, that, that's just tragic. So, right. So, 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 if the person is making ends meet, mm-hmm. if you're making ends meet and you still want to be better than that, one of the motivations, well, there could be other motivations. There's basically a second motivation here. But one of those motivations is that it's about being higher than other people. It's about status. It's about being on top. And you can't be on top unless you have people underneath. And you know how you can right. tell this? Is professional jealousy. Is here in just one second. Do you know who rabbis dislike more than anyone else? Are the rabbis. Why would that be? You know what the great perk of being a rabbi is? There's a hierarchy, and guess where you are in that hierarchy? Unless you now enter a world of rabbis, in which case... You're, you're, I mean, you might be in the top, but chances are you're in the middle, and usually these hierarchies tend to be more pyramid shaped so statistically you're more likely near the bottom of that. And this is true in anything. You know, it's great, I mean, because many things which you're at the top of one hierarchy, then you flip it around, you're at this. And so one of the elements of this prize is you start devaluing other people you're in competition to. You devalue areas in life where you're not at the top of the hierarchy. Okay, that's... Couldn't there be good, like genuinely good things associated with being near the top of the hierarchy? Like to say, for instance, that there are families that make ends meet, there are families that, you know, give tzedakah, there are families that build shul buildings. So, uh, like, is there something wrong with wanting to be a family that builds so, a So, I'll, I'll tell you a little story. In, in the Chumash, at one point, there are two men who start having prophecy known Eldad and Medad. And Yeshua, who is the disciple of Moshe, he, he runs to Moshe and say, Eldad and Medad start prophesizing, and people tell Moshe. And Yeshua says, Moshe, arrest them! Like, you're the prophet! And what's Moshe's response? If only everyone would be a prophet! Like, well, that would be, see, I think, if you want to be a billionaire because you can do a lot of stuff as being a billionaire, that's fine, but you don't need to be the top of the hierarchy. Like, if everyone's billionaires, that would be good too. Why, why do you need to, see, the, the pride element is you're on top. It's the, right, it's the going upward. It's being on top. It's not the having. So you should wish for yourself to be hired as a product manager and also everybody else. Well, I have a product manager a little bit. <laughs> funny. No, but I'm saying but, anything, I'm saying realistically, the kinds of things that made, I don't like, know. If, if, like, like, yeah, so like, like, you should have money and I should have money and you right. should be like, have everything. Yeah, well, like, why, why, right. Why like in, a, in a classroom, I should get an A and so should everyone else yeah. in this class and right. all of us should be able to be admitted to the top program. That right. Yeah, why yeah, shouldn't there be, like, why shouldn't, if, every, if everybody is good enough to, if everybody is good enough to be recognized for their brilliant achievements, then why shouldn't everybody recognize for their brilliant achievements? Why, why do we have to pick one? Because that's not how the world works. I right? know that's not how the world works. You know why the world doesn't work that way? Because it's made up of people who have pride. an animal soul. And one of the elements of that animal soul is this pride that has a strong drive to be on top. And on top means specifically, I am on top and someone else has to therefore be on the bottom. And when you're within that system, though, that's already been set up by people like a class on a curve where only the top 10% get an A, like, is there something wrong with wanting yourself to be above 90% of the other people? So I'm not going to answer this question. The reason why I'm not going to answer this question is what the Alkib is trying to do is describe and you're trying to judge. 
No, the teacher is saying this is a fact of your existence. He's not saying, when he says it's evil, he's, he's not even giving judgment. He's saying it, this is a fact of your existence. There is this element inside of you, and what does it cause you to do? To devalue others. I'm describing. I'm not telling you now at judgment, should you get rid of it? Should you accept it? He's not. Uh-huh. See, we're you, not answering. We're not at that point yet. He's just saying, like, let's, there's this part of you. There's this part of you which wants to be on top. And wanting to be on top means putting other people down or climbing on top of them or stepping on top of them. Everybody has it. Some more, some less. Sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't. Mm-hmm. And if it gets out of hand, it is destructive. That's clear. Right. And it won't, right? It, 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 and, and in any measure, to whatever degree you feel it or have it, it does cause you to value others. Mm-hmm. How should you now deal with that? He hasn't said Right? He's, not, he's not judging you for having it. He's not, he's not just saying, yeah, that this is just a fact of the world. And then obviously the world is going to work that way. If it's made of a bunch of people with this characteristic, obviously our society is going to be arranged that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there an issue of wanting, a, and this may be kind of like on that point, but is there an issue of wanting a career that happens to be at this top of the hierarchy, but you don't necessarily want it for those reasons? Then it's not pride. Okay. Then it's not pride. Because then you'd be fine if everyone had one. Okay. Right? Yeah. We're talking about like a lot of like what you need for survival survival. Talking about survival a lot, but don't we also reframing like humans as the basic Want the, the desire to thrive. Right, so that's why I said I don't want to talk about survival. If the issue is you're competing over resources for real survival, we're not talking we're about not. this. There is a place in time where the algebra addresses it mm-hmm. in, in one of the letters in the end, but we're not talking, we're talking about we're things. Talking about we're talking about thriving. I want to be the CEO. Why do you want to be the CEO? It's like, and it's really weird. Is like people want to be on the top of hierarchies. They don't even know what it's like to be on the top of the hierarchy. Yeah. Like I know this person um, who like climbed the hierarchy, whatever their, their their field was, and then they got to the top of the hierarchy. This is very impressive. They realized like that it, they realized how the pride was consuming them, and they didn't even like the job at the top of the hierarchy. They actually liked the middle level job. Mm-hmm. They enjoyed that job. That's where they felt good. And the thing that was driving them was the sense that you have to be on the top. And they realized that it was consuming and destroying their life. And you know what they did? This is what's very impressive. They took a demotion. They went back down to what they enjoyed doing. And, then, and now the person who they were the boss of now became their boss. But that's okay. Like they overcame that. Okay. Anger has a similar thing because anger is all about, like, basically the, the core sense of anger is, how dare you do this to me? It's like, you know, people say, I'm not, people say this, this is like a sign of anger. I'm not angry, it's the principle. Yeah? The principle of the matter. The principle of the matter is that somebody's, you're not, you, things didn't go your way, you're not the end all and be all. That's the principle of the matter. And both of those tendencies of wanting to be on top, everything should revolve around you. Everyone else's should be beneath you. And that that really isn't, you know, if, that, if that's given free reign, it's completely, just, it completely consumes the person. That's this side, that's this theme, that's this element of the animal soul. It's not the whole animal soul, it's one aspect of it. We all have it, some degree more, some degree less, feel it in different ways, etc. Yeah? Um, don't we talk about how having a good Jewish pride or having a pride who you are is important? But that pride is not the pride of being on top of someone else. Isn't it like a borrowed term? Well, the, 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 yeah, I mean, there's a question, which is the borrowed term? The way, the way I like to envision this is as follows. There's, pride is about being higher. So there's higher in the way, there's higher in the sense that there's a pyramid and you're on top. But if you're on the top of the pyramid, what does there have to be? If you're on the top of the pyramid, what else does there have to be? 
bottom of the pyramid, right? You can't be the CEO of a company unless you have a whole company underneath you. And then there's being high up because you're tied to something higher than yourself. Like you're hanging on a rope. So there's this sense that there's a deep core or a deep potential or a deep identity or some store, whatever it is. And I'm in touch with that. Well, okay, in order to be in touch with that, I don't need to put anyone down. In fact, everyone could be in touch with it. They could all be hanging on to the same lofty thing. And that also can be called pride, but it's in a very different way. That's not this pride. Yeah. Doesn't then Hashem have a ton of pride? Mm-hmm. Which one? The bad times? The ba- I mean, which one? He does have a ton of pride. The good kind of the pride. Which one are you talking about? The bad times. Why? Well, here's the thing. Being at the top is not pride. It's wanting to be on the top. That's pride. Mm-hmm. And here's the question. What does he want to be on the top? Yeah. Well. There's no point for God unless we're here. But that doesn't mean he wants to be on the top. In fact, strangely enough, we'll learn this in chapters 31, 33, 35, 36, 37. Where does God like to be in the hierarchy of things, actually? Overall, where's his preferred place? He prefers to be at the bottom of any hierarchy, strangely enough. It's weird. We'll get to that. But yes, that actually says in the prophets, God says, what house can you, the heavens are mine, the earth is my footstool, what house could you build for me? Where do I dwell? Amongst those of lowly spirit. God likes to be at the bottom of hierarchies. If there's a hierarchy, if God is going to find a place where he wants to be, it's not at the top. There's a technical problem that God has all this power, and so it's really complicated for him to get to the bottom of hierarchy, which we'll talk about that later. But you have to, you have to, right, pride is the desire to be at the top of the hierarchy and others should be under you, not the fact that you happen to be there. You can have people who are phenomenally wealthy or really brilliant or famous rabbis or whatever, and they don't want to be there. They don't want to be at the top of hierarchy, just they happen to be there. And sometimes it makes them very uncomfortable. Yeah. What did you say, gall? Yeah, you could, you could say that. I think you could say that. But you see, you see the overlap between the two notions. Okay, it's a good word, gall. I like it. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. You, you've pinpointed it. Very good. Yeah. Can we not look at fire as being a positive element? Like the there is positive fire. We're just speaking about evil fire. In the world of disregarding others, there's fire. Now, don't think... Fire is not bad. Okay. First of all, we're not talking about physical fire. Yeah. There's the fire of... There's this whole side of the, of the animal soul, which is evil, in the sense that it disregards others. In that, how many different forms does that take? Four. One of them is disregarding others through putting them down, wanting to be on top of them, the indignation if they, you know, you know, get in your way, the gall, that, that kind of stuff. That's a whole side of disregarding others. But you can disregard others in a totally different manner. But, yeah... Fire, we're going to learn later on, fire, kind of, there's, there's in, the, in the, the godly soul also has an element of fire. But it's positive qualities. Yeah. Okay. Fine. You know the difference between learning this section with older people and younger people is? If you learn this with the, the younger the person, the faster it goes, the older the person you learn this with, the slower this goes. There's more of an appreciation of the n- subtleties and nuances of like, 
labeling a trade as negative. Like it's not so simple and what does it really mean? Cause I, I teach also to younger people, Tanya. I like <laughs> fly through this in a half hour. <laughs> okay, fine. The appetite for pleasures from the element of water. For waterers makes to grow all kinds of enjoyment. Okay, well, set aside the, the issue of water for a second. The appetite for pleasures. How do you feel about labeling that as evil? See my uh, skepticism about cupcakes earlier. <laughs> we yeah. learned with kiki, something that camp, that if you're from the ultra side, that if you like want something, if you're pulled to something physical, it's like because your neshama wants to uncover the sparks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she said that like that's like if you're using these physical things to uplift them, then you can have a pull and you can have a want towards it. Yes, the yeah. same altar, but also said that the appetite for pleasures is evil. Right. <laughs> so we have some explaining to do, right? You can't just say, well, well, he said one thing, and that's the thing I like, so that's the one I'm going to pay attention. Ignore the other one. No, I'm, I'm asking. You said, what do we think of it? What yeah. Okay. Um. So here's the thing. There's a word here. Um, the Hebrew is tainuk, and in English they translate it as pleasure, and, and that needs some explaining what that means. Okay. So, first off, I think we should all appreciate that pleasure is, an, is something you experience. You experience. There isn't this. It's not like like you know. This is pleasure, right? This thing that I'm touching is pleasure. Pleasure is an experience. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, the question is, well, what causes pleasure? Like, if pleasure is an experience, when, what, situations, what situations do you experience it and what situations do you not experience it? You said supposed to and I said do. Going back to that normative judgment thing and I'm just trying to describe reality. Some people experience it on Shabbos. Some people experience it on Shabbos. When? Because it's Shabbos or because they like Cholent and Kogel? Both. Both. Really, like, 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 make a list of all the different times and kinds of pleasure you experience and figure out what they all have in common. It really involves a physical? In what sense involves physical? Like, you, you, never, you never have... Have you ever had um, the pleasure of discovering something making sense? That, that, that pleasure? Okay, why not? Pleasure always comes from a physical source. No, but why not? Why would you say the experience from the physical things is different from discovering that something makes sense? Because that also feels good, right? There's a good feeling associated with that? Yeah. Okay. Why are you giving them two different names? Because I feel like they're separate. Okay, why? I'm asking you to describe. So we are, now we're running into problems, which is the issue of translation, that the nuances of words don't carry from language to language, and also from culture to culture, or from, sometimes from individuals to individuals, right? Like I spoke about yesterday. So, um, 
there is actually a, 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 a Hasidic discourse that actually makes the point of the, that the reverse, that the Hebrew word tainug is only loosely can be used when talking about physical things and should more strictly be used when talking about things like relationships, ideas, music, art. But when you get things like cupcakes, it's only in a really borrowed sense. Whereas now you're kind of doing the reverse. You're saying the word pleasure more strictly relate. So there is a clear difference between them, but then there is a broad similarity. Here we're using it in the broad sense. We're going to group them all the same way. I know, and the Fidigabah says that that's used It's not real. If you go deeper into it, it's like a, it's like a imitation version of the real thing. But we're not getting into that right now. But I'm saying that's what she's kind of picking up on is that like there is a qualitative difference between these things. And so the question is which word you use for what when you're trying to pick up that difference. Here we're the broad category. It all feels good. That's clear, yeah? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good experience you like having. But, but what causes that experience? What causes the experience? The good feeling. It's a good feeling is an experience. It's a, it's a sub, well, that's a chemical. I want, I want, a, I want, a, I want a, a phenomenological answer. Like what, in what way are you processing reality such that your brain says release the endorphins to allow the person to experience some positivity, we'll call it pleasure? When you've achieved something that you've like wanted to? Okay, like that's... A, pleasure? Oh, okay, those are, those are definitely things, but not all, like you need something that's going to be applied to all you, cases of pleasure. Maybe there's like a conflict where you're not experiencing pleasure. Okay, that's actually the way to go about it. It's like, okay, well, the opposite of pleasure is some kind of painful thing, and painful things are always associated with conflict. And this is why it's actually hard to pick this up. Conflict, when we experience conflict, there's something, some, some additional sense of things that we'll call pain or painful. There's emotional pain, there's existential pain, there's physical pain, all kinds of pain. Well, well what's the opposite of conflict then? Harmony. Harmony. So when you are in a harmonious relationship with something, you are in sync with something in any way, shape, or form, what kind of a experience comes along with that? Pleasure. And the reason why it's hard to pick up on that is that conflict is visceral because you can feel the things bumping against each other in the wrong way. Whereas harmony, if things are smooth or working together, it's hard to notice. It's like everyone notices when electricity doesn't work, but we rarely notice when it does work. Okay. Harmony is like, so equilibrium, is that what leads to pleasure? Like the baseline. Yeah. That's what it sounds like you're saying. Well, okay, so there are different kinds of pleasure depending on the different kinds of harmony. So there's a harmony that's achieved. Those pleasures tend to be much more visceral. Mm -hmm. Like when, when you're... When, you, you're, when your taste buds are like, this food really belongs in my mouth, that's like, a, a, we've achieved a harmony. It's a very like low level, like physical kind of a harmony. But the taste, buds are, the taste buds are telling the brain, the food that is in the mouth really belongs here. And so then what happens? <laughs> Pleasure. But then there's like a different thing, like, like, you know, like you're okay being yourself on some core fundamental level. That's also a kind of a pleasure, but that's much more of a subtle thing that's hard to really notice. So it's like that's been achieved by coming back from it. Well, that's one way of experiencing pleasure. If you want the pleasure to really stand out, it's helpful to have to achieve that. But you could have it as just the baseline, but then the pleasure almost goes unnoticed. 
You would you could feel the ple- you would be experiencing pleasure, but you wouldn't necessarily notice it, and therefore you wouldn't have an appreciation of it. But now it also depends what you get pleasure from. Because certain things, the pleasure it, it gets complicated because since we exist on different levels, we're physical. We have uh, you know we have taste buds. We're intellectual. We're emotional, and so therefore we can experience pleasure in any arena of our existence, provided that we're existing or have achieved some state of harmony in some way, shape, or form. And then what happens when we encounter some state of conflict in some aspect of our existence? We experience pain. This gets really complicated, by the way, because, because you have different levels of existence. Give an example of exercising. If you're exercising properly, it's supposed to be painful. Why? You're doing specifically to those muscles. Something those muscles. You're tearing them apart. You're caught. You're you are literally deharmonizing them. They were fine. All the cells were nicely together. And what are you doing to them? You're tearing them apart. Now, you're tearing them apart not too much in the right way. A little whatever. But you're tearing them apart, and so you're creating a little conflict. But your mind tells you that this conflict. My mind doesn't tell me this is why I don't exercise. But, but those of you who do, your mind tells you and is very convinced that this pain is a sign of you coming to a healthier state of existence. And so you cognitively have pleasure from the pain. But physically you don't. Right, so you physically it hurts, but because you've, the way you process that cognitively is that that is an indication of me achieving a state of health, you can have pleasure. So you can have pleasure from me. And you can also have the reverse. Like what happens if you really like somebody and someone makes a joke at their expense and it's really funny? So, so you're, you really enjoy the joke and then you feel really pain that you find it funny because you're complicated and so you can have conflict on one level which elicits harmony on another level and harmony on one level which elicits conflict on another level because we're messy. But all pleasure comes from some kind of harmonious state of you in connection with something. And if you're fully harmonious with yourself, that would be like the ultimate pleasure. Right? Imagine if all aspects of you were in harmony with each other. Would you feel the pleasure? Yeah. Well, then at that point, then at that point, the what the quality, of what that pleasure is like, it would transcend like the regular experiences of pleasure. Isn't yes. that prod? Mm. No. When a person misfeels that way. No, a person who feels that way is like at the opposite extreme from pride. They're like have no need in any way, shape, or form to like step on anybody. They're like so happy. True pride. It's not even that. They have no need. It's like they've even gone. They don't even need the good kind of pride in a certain sense. Like they, they, they've transcended that issue. That's like almost like a godlike state. Yeah, that's different. Do you feel like the strongest pleasure, like, is yeah, like yes. the, the like most comfortable I've ever felt was after like forty-eight more hours of traveling when I lay down in a bed for the first right. time. Right. So, so the most power. So so experiences can have different dimensions. In order for pleasure to be the most powerful experience, it needs to come after a, a tremendous contrast of pain. But that, but, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the deepest pleasure. It, this gets into the fact that something, can, just like physical things of height and width and length, those are different dimensions. Okay. So pleasure can have a, a level of depth to it. It can have a level of intensity to it. You know, those, are, those all vary. But the thing is, all pleasures always are what happens when we are experiencing some kind of a harmony with something. Which means there's something about it and that, that and us that fit together perfectly. So what's wrong with pleasure then? <laughs> Pleasure seems good. Like, what's wrong with pleasure? Why is pleasure, like, why is pleasure evil? 
can get really caught up in it. Well, Getting really caught up in being in a harmonious relationship with the rest of reality? Why is that bad? Like, that sounds fine. Like, I don't see the problem there. Because if it's talking about your Nefesh Bahamas, then it's using it in the aspect of you wanting to do things that aren't specifically... But then that's like putting the cart before the horse. Then like, we're trying to explain how it's bad. You can't start saying, because it's the Nefesh Bahamas, therefore by definition it has to be bad. You're explaining what's bad about it by saying the pursuit of pleasure is evil. Why is the pursuit of pleasure evil? Notice I switched my first question, why is evil bad? And now I said, why is the pursuit of pleasure bad? Why is the pursuit, why is pleasure evil? And now I'm switching to why the pursuit of pleasure is evil. Evil, pleasure is not evil. It's the same thing with pride. Right. Being at to- on the top, right? Well, it's not about the top. Pleasure is not evil. It's the pursuit of pleasure that is evil. Yeah. I know. This is one of the issues of the translation. This is one of the 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 the, 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 the word the word in Hebrew is taiva, which is a, means a strong desire or lusting after. I guess the translator understood the word appetite to capture that meaning. In other words, the existence of pleasure is not bad. There's nothing evil about the existence of pleasure. What's evil is the pursuit of pleasure. Let me explain. Well, first with an analogy. If you're driving a car and the engine light goes on, you know the little engine light? It tells you to check the engine. And let's say like you're a reasonable person and you think that, okay, that probably means that there's something wrong with my engine, right? I should probably check it out. And that's really annoying and it's bothering you there, right? So there's a simple solution, which is you just like reach in the da- behind the dashboard and cut the wire to the engine light. And then it turns off and your problem is solved. Have you seen that? In the movie, there's a scene where the... Penguins are trying to fly a plane, and the guy goes, "Skipper, the cap, the the red, there's a red flashing light." And he goes, "Hand me that manual." He takes the manual, and someone matches the light. He goes, "Problemo solved." Right. So, see. Okay, I've never seen the movie. That's exactly the point I'm making. So, so, why is that funny? Because the light is not the issue. The light, the light is the manifestation of the issue. The issue is that there's something wrong with the airplane or something wrong with the car, right? Okay. So now, right, it's the same thing. And a lot of the times what we do is we, we, we conflate the effects with the actual causes. Pursuing harmony is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Do you know why it's not a bad thing? If you pursue harmony, you're going to come into realization that if you try and be harmonious with everything all the time, does that work? So more harmony, the better, means you're going to have to find which harmonies are more stable, deeper, longer term, and you're going to prioritize those and devalue the shallower, superficial, more transient harmonies. That makes sense? So that's fine. But what if the idea of being in harmony is not the thing that you're driven after? but the experience of pleasure that harmony creates. Then what do you look for? How do you get pleasure? And you do really care what you're doing to get the pleasure. See, the issue is, and you, if you want to use an extreme example, if you want to do an, use an extreme example, if I am pursuing pleasure, okay, and one of the kinds of pleasure, one of the most actually intense forms of pleasure is humor, but we're gonna use that as an example. If I'm pursuing pleasure, and I'm at a friend's funeral, and I'm pursuing pleasure. So I pull out my smartphone, and what do I start doing? 
right? Or let's say, but I, I want humor. I want something that's a little looking more... Looking at jokes. Looking at jokes. Right? And is that, is that causing me to appreciate the loss of my friend and how all the rest of my friends are, 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 are mourning and I'm now connected to them and I value those? Or is that basically shut out and none of them matter? Right. Because when I pursue pleasure, then it all becomes about my individual subjective experience and the external reality becomes irrelevant other than how it affects me. It's like living in a virtual reality. To use an extreme example, if you had the following thought choice, a thought experiment, okay? And I don't want you to answer, I just want you to listen to the thought experiment. This is make-believe, you can never really do this. But let's imagine, okay? Let's imagine you could enter into a machine or wave a magic wand or whatever, and you would live a life full of pleasure, never have any pain, on any level, which means you wouldn't even feel bad about the fact that you're having pleasure, like none of that, like just pleasure at every level would work out the most pleasurable way. But all your friends and family would think that you'd gone missing and you would never be found again and they would have to deal with that. Or would you rather like, you know, live life with all of its ups and downs and the fact that life is not full of, you know, endless bliss, but like actually participate in the real world and connect to people and deal with them. Okay, well then that means you appreciate why the pursuit of pleasure is evil because there's a reality to something other than my subjective experience. Now, the degree to which that we feel that act slowly puts us more into that space where we actually want to live in that um, make-believe world. Sorry, can you repeat that? The degree to which we actually feel the pursuit of pleasure is the degree to which we actually don't care about other people and our actual connections with them and how we're affecting them. And this plays out in very, very small ways. I'm gonna give you an example. So I can see some hands raised, yeah. Okay, so, but you're talking about pursuit of pleasure that directly impacts other people. Is there pursuit of pleasure that does not impact other people that's not bad? No, no. So does Be it always impact other people? Yeah, because reality is all interconnected. And the issue here is that by pursuing pleasure, the, the, the pursuing pleasure is a, state of, is, a, is a state of being where the thing that matters to me is how I feel and reality beyond how I feel is irrelevant. That's what he means by the pursuit of pleasure. The only thing that really counts is how something makes me feel. Having pleasure doesn't hurt other people, but always wanting just that pleasure is what hurts other people. That's right. What if, what if it doesn't hurt other people? But, but, but the thing is, the thing is, the, the, the thing, the thing is, if it's not hurting other people, it's just for technicality. Because at the core of it, it devalues the other person. You're saying what happens to them doesn't matter. The fact that they're not being hurt by this is just, a, it just happens to be. Right now, the particular thing I'm pursuing happens not to be hurting anybody. But, the, but, but, but that pursuit says that what happens to them doesn't matter as long as I feel good. I'm still not... Because remember, we're not talking about behaviors here. It's very important. Behaviors follow the, the, the media. So the media is that, the, the thing is I want to feel good and what makes, things, what makes things valuable to me is that they make me feel good and how it affects reality beyond myself doesn't matter to me. But why is an emotion that only involves you contingent on other people? Because, it's because because you 
do not have the ability to be solely occupied with your own personal experience and see other people as valuable simultaneously. You can't do that. So if you say, if you're feeling the only thing that matters is whether this makes me feel good or not, then by definition, you're in a selfish mode where how it affects them doesn't matter. Now, will it actually hurt them in practice? That depends on two things. If we're talking about like certain behaviors, maybe, and if we're, talk, and if we're talking about intimate relationships, always. Because an intimate relationship, the very fact you don't care what's happening to them is itself a painful thing. Does it mean that a person who's very more like into physical things cares less about other people? It depends what you mean by cares about and physical Like society things. today, people who are, we, being so I, I person, that we're so, so I mean, if you want to get my take on society, we have to get to that. So I don't think most people in society are really pursuing pleasure as the main thing. We'll get, because I think it's more something else. The more the air, we'll get to that later. But yeah, I mean, I mean, someone that's pursuing pleasure is like the kind of person, like you take this to the extreme, is like the kind of person like, who really doesn't care like how many people in a third world country like have to suffer in order for them to have their particular brand of coffee. Because it's like, delectable. Like, like all, the only thing real about it is the fact that it has that. Right. Ooh, it's, <laughs> it's a little bit of, could be a little bit of pride too. Like they get mixed. Off. So as we remember, just remember the elements. The elements. Just remember they're not like hydrogen and helium, which are distinct things. They're themes, and can themes overlap and mix? Yes. That's one of the things you notice that you rarely get one of these all by itself. They mix together, and that is one answer about the job. Another reason why you want to have the top job is because you want to have the money to buy the stuff that makes you feel good. And the fact that you having the top job and pulling multi-billion dollar salary means that there's less for everyone else doesn't matter to you because the only thing that's important is how things make you feel and you have you know, pleasure in things. It's not necessarily why someone wants to be. Right. So now you have kind of two motivations for being at the top of the hierarchy. One is because like in principle you want to be at the top of the hierarchy. That's the, more the fire one. And the other is because being at the top of the hierarchy gives the opportunity to indulge in all of your delights. Well, couldn't it also be a good motivation? Like, if I was in control of all of that money, I would know that I would be giving it away, whereas right now there are people who are in control of gods of money who are not giving so it away. So that's, that's for sure pride, because that's selfish. what people, that's, that's what, that's selfish and delusional. Because that's, that's thinking that you are superior than other people, that like you yeah. know what to do with that money better yeah. than anyone Yeah, else. that's, that's. So is there not, there's no way for someone to want to make more money genuinely to benefit? There is, but not more money than other people. But you, it makes two things. I want to have more money so I can help other people. That's fine. But I want that I should have the money and them not because I would know what to do with it. That's basically that's measuring yourself against yourself. Yeah. That's like here, okay, I almost said if you begrudge other people to give it to that guy. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, so the, the um, there's a, there's, a, there's a conflict I have which involves pizza. <laughs> yeah. Which is. Pizza's 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 wonderful, especially if it's good pizza. The problem with pizza is <laughs> pizza. Where do you get the best? Well, it depends where you. Oh. Buy. I mean, first off, I will grant so you. I will grant pizza? you, pizza in Israel is not as good as pizza in New York, yes. but there are better pizza places and there are worse pizza places. Whatever. What's the best pizza shop? I don't know. Now, <laughs> so there's pizza, and pizza has one amazing quality: is that when everyone in the family is sitting around eating pizza together, it's like really nice. It bring, it bring, everyone shuts up. <laughs> Everyone's in a good mood. Everyone's like, it's very friendly. It's like a bonding thing. It's nice. That's great as long as there's pizza. But then what happens is that you've eaten your piece and they've eaten their piece and their piece. And then it turns out that you've now entered the realm where there are fewer pieces than there are people who want to eat them. And all of a sudden, my children have become my enemy. Because if I can get the pleasure from the next slice of pizza, which is the last slice of pizza, then they cannot. 
And so my desire to enjoy that slice of pizza also makes me feel that their enjoyment of it, they're wanting it, and moreover, how they will interpret their father caring more about pizza and what they'll do to their psyche and how they'll grow up and blah, blah, blah. That all that doesn't matter because I want to enjoy the pizza. On the other hand, I can say like, you know what? Like my relationship with my children actually matters and so like the pleasure I give from the pizza is just not that important. What, can you divide up the pizza? Can you cut the slices in half? See, but that's, that's a pragmatic problem a pragmatic solution to, to, a more, to a problem which is not really pragmatic. It's a, sen- it's a more internal thing. The issue, is not, the issue is not, should I eat the pizza, should they eat the pizza? Right. That's just revealing that there's a side of me, disturbingly enough, that actually cares more about how I feel than them and my relationship with them. And dividing up the pizza doesn't solve that problem, does it? That, that's what Alter was getting at. It exists. Like, we have to acknowledge that side of us exists. Okay? Maybe have a physical solution, but it's not a solution. Right, it solves the behavioral question. It doesn't solve the Mida problem. Okay. How is water? Ah, why is this water? Because, because water, so there's different explanations. I'm going to give you the simplest one. Um, excuse me. One of the elements of water is that it makes things grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is understood in many senses. There's like the obvious sense of like you put plants and you put water on them and then they grow. But there's also a sense like when things are filled, like how do you know your meat that when you buy raw meat, it's always bigger than the actual amount of meat? Did you know that? Sorry, well, if you buy meat, I know, so you're a vegetarian, this is disturbing. But if you buy meat, there's actually the meat is bigger than the amount of meat you're actually buying. Because there's water Because there's water. And they put, put water shrinks. inside it. Oh, oh, and, oh, which is, yeah, it shrinks <laughs> tremendously. Like you buy, if you, like, you slaughter an animal and then cook it, you'd be surprised. It doesn't shrink nearly as much as when you buy meat from a butcher. Because the, the stuff that's produced in factories, they, 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 they salt them with the fish. They, 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 they put water in it. Sometimes they do this with astrogum to make the small astrogum appear bigger. Oh, An astro for like the four species. Oh. Sometimes they put water in them to make them bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that allowed yeah. Discussed and debated. Another reason to get a asteroid with a good kosher supervision. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a it's a really a problem if the asteroid was halachically too small, and then they made it big enough with the water to be kosher. But if it was halachically okay to begin with, then most people say it's not a problem. Um, so there's the idea. Now think about it like this: when you feel pleasure, psychologically. You're more in this expansive and this kind of thing. It's like metaphorically, you've been just like, you know, like injected with water, so to speak. So that's one explanation. There are others. But he wants to get at this. One of the explanations is that, that pleasure is this expansiveness that you feel when you're in pleasure. And the pursuit of that is a problem. Now, pursuit of connection and harmony is not a problem because if you really pursue that in a reasonable way, uh, that, that can lead to very good places. Will you also have a lot of pleasure? Sure. Okay. Let me give you one practical consequence that comes out of this. Should you have pleasure doing mitzvahs? Yeah, because what does that mean if you have pleasure doing mitzvahs? You feel in harmony? Yeah, you really feel like connected to the mitzvah. The mitzvah and you speak to That's a good thing, right? To really connect to what you're doing. Should you do mitzvahs in order to have pleasure? Because if you do mitzvah in order to have pleasure, you're going to start saying, well, this mitzvah, I don't have so much pleasure, I won't do that one. In other words, you end up taking... If you do mitzvahs because you're trying to connect to Hashem, 
and you succeed in connecting to Hashem, then you have pleasure. So the goal should be to try and connect to every mitzvah. And then the measurement of that is that you have pleasure. But if you're trying to get pleasure, and mitzvah is just a means to that, then you end up doing the mitzvahs that you get pleasure easily out of, and the mitzvahs you don't get pleasure out of, you don't do. Imagine you had a relationship with a person where you only interacted with them in the kinds of actions that you naturally enjoy, and the kinds of interactions you find difficult to really connect to them, you just avoided them. Would that be a healthy relationship? No. But if you really try to connect in all areas, do you eventually develop a good relationship? And do you have a lot of pleasure as a consequence? If you, if, say you are coming from a, a genuine place of wanting to connect and then, then you find out that some mitzvahs bring you more pleasure than others, is there a problem with naturally leaning, naturally leaning towards certain mitzvahs over others? No, because now you're getting into, now there's a pragmatic thing. You're saying like, in principle, I'm going to work on all the mitzvahs. However, there's two competing pragmatic questions, which is on one hand, I should work on the things that are hard because that's the real, the real growth is. On the other hand, that's draining, and I need something to like balance that out. And so, how do I do that? I should should I should I spend more time with things that I'm more comfortable with to feel more have a stronger base and then work hard, should I work hard? And those that that becomes a very individualistic question about where the person's holding in life. It's a pragmatic issue. The, the the issue I'm talking about is saying if the mitzvahs are for the sake of me feeling pleasure, then like right. why even work on the mitzvahs that are hard? Right. And then like. And this is the danger. This is why pleasure is dangerous because although you might not have started out pursuing pleasure, once you get the taste of it, right? Then you're like, oh, I like that, but every mitzvah matters your intention. Not every mitzvah does your intention invalidate the, the mitzvah. Okay. Now those like this. Your intentions always matter with mitzvahs. There are most mitzvahs, even if you don't have the proper intentions, the mitzvah was still valid. There are very few mitzvahs where the intentions are so critical that if you didn't have the right intentions, it's if you didn't do the mitzvah. Right? It's like, my intentions don't matter in terms of making dinner, whether dinner gets made, right? But in the context that making dinner is usually about more than just whether dinner is made, such as, you know, there's other people in the house and how that process was experienced, the intentions do make a difference. So the intentions matter, just they don't matter enough to... Validate the mitzvah, right. And the is going to elaborate that later on in time. They always matter. Because if they don't matter, then basically what you're saying is God just wants a slave to, like, you know, do menial tasks. And that's not a relationship. But if the outcome doesn't change... The outcome does change. It's just... If it doesn't invalidate the mitzvah, that means you have a valid mitzvah to work with. Like, if you made dinner, like if you don't make dinner, or I don't make dinner, dinner's not made, now you have a real problem, because then people are hungry. Like last night, like we were very busy. My wife was busy, and I was busy, and guess what happened? Dinner, dinner was made, and so the children hadn't had food until like, like eight o'clock at night, and like you can imagine, that was like absolute chaos. Okay, these things happen, it's a problem. And then there's a totally different thing, like we made dinner, and maybe, you know, somebody was not, you know, was not, didn't, was not in the best of mood, you know, during the process. But if dinner's made, we can sit down, we can eat, we can work, you know, it's a different, it's a whole different thing because something's there to work with. So it's a very different thing to say, you lit the Shabbos candle with the wrong intention, but the Shabbos candle's there, like we can like, you know, especially God transcends time, it's, but if the mitzvah isn't even there, yeah. Okay, so we got through two of the four. Yeah. Should you try to not experience pleasure? Or 
That depends. That depends on what she said about what kind of pleasure it is. Some pleasures it's actually better to avoid because they're the one. Some pleasures tend easily to more, get you more into developing that appetite for pleasure, and some pleasures don't. <laughs> Yeah, it's basically like, like, yeah, like I'm willing, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm not trying to be surprised. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna eat and see what I need to do when I do. Yeah. I should have just ordered pizza. That's what I was just thinking. I thought, I thought you were gonna say.